0: Welcome to the Leadership Now podcast with Dr. Aaron Rock. Aaron has served as a pastor, a professor, and a chaplain, and he has a keen interest in helping other Christians to think Christianly about all of life. On this show, we talk about the nuts and bolts of theology, church life, cultural issues, pastoral leadership, ethics, and other relevant matters that will help you lead better now your host, Chris Yeoman and today's title is Three Years Later, Lockdowns, Lies, and Liberty. So three years ago this month, as many of you know, we went through our first lockdown in Canada and the rest, well, it's history, I suppose. Since then, we've experienced three lockdowns, quarantines, fines, travel suspensions, the suspension of rights, blocked borders, the trucker convoy, and a whole lot more. And hopefully that's not triggering for any of you <laughs> talking about it now. But rather than rehearsing all of these things, we're going to shift our attention today to analyzing and learning from these experiences. So Aaron, I know today, or I, I think it was actually yesterday on your Facebook wall, you asked people to name one lesson they've learned over the past three years. So how about we share some of their words to our listeners?
1: Yeah, this is uh, an opportunity for my, my Facebook responders to... Um to be, to be mentioned in the podcast. <laughs> cool. Hopefully that's, that's okay. I didn't get your permission, but I won't name you. I'll just read your, uh, your quotes. That way you can't sue me for, um, I don't know, what would you call that? Um, revealing private information.
0: Yep. <laughs> I don't know. Though it's posted on a public <laughs> forum. True, yeah. So it's already public.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, I appreciate, um, I appreciate those that interact on Facebook and Twitter with my content, and I hope, I hope it's a blessing to you more often than not. I do reserve the right to um, block <laughs> those that habitually uh, try to use my wall as their platform for things they won't post on their own social media platforms. But that's that's far and few in between. We have lots of people that use it productively. And I just wanted to read some some comments that people put on there. They're all they're all pretty much in pretty much without exception. They're they're encouraging. Um these are some lessons that different people have learned over the past three years. Uh, one person says, I, I learned what Romans 13 really means. <laughs> now which side are they on? <laughs> I I, th- I think they're on the biblical side. Okay, that's good. <laughs> you know, which which um just sidebar comment, which doesn't teach that we are to submit in all areas to the state. It teaches that we are to submit to the state when they are wielding their duties in the area of public justice. Another person says, the government can no longer be trusted to make policy regarding what's in the best interest of its citizens. I think that's accurate because we know now that so much of what has been decided for us by the all powerful state has been politicized. And there there are several comments in this thread about not trusting the government in the way that they normally trust the government. And I can relate to that. Like I, you know, I always knew there was a measure of corruption, but I thought, you know, we're in the West. We're not North Korea or South Korea or some backward country, second world country, some banana republic. We can basically trust our institutions. And, and I just my my trust across the board for public institutions has really declined. So I, I understand that. Another person comments that the social, socialization of anything, all caps, is a really bad idea. Uh, and then there's a, kind of a facetious comment. Uh, trust the government. Trust the science. Follow the science and see what happens. Stay home. It could save lives. Safe and effective. Uh, I think that's supposed to say lab leak, not lamb leak. <laughs> lab leak is a racist conspiracy theory. Anyone who thinks otherwise is a racist, misogynist person who takes up space in a small fringe minority. <laughs> so I think he's, you know, he's commenting on all the name calling that's gone on. I appreciate this one. Christ is king of kings and lord of lords, no matter how much evil men try to usurp their authority. Or never give up. Uh, keep God in our hearts and have faith. Here's an interesting comment, mass formation psychosis is real. It's true. It's amazing how so many people can be pushed into a state of abject fear and terror over a viral threat. We still see a few people that seem to be permanently damaged from it. I was in a automotive store the other day and the the cashier was still wearing an N95 and rubber gloves behind plexiglass. And I just thought, how sad. Like how sad, because viruses have been around since the beginning of time, and I remember seeing that person prior to the pandemic working there, and they never acted like that. But it's sad to see how people are just so so terrified of death. One of the commenters said many things here, but just one, a fear of the unknown can be scary, that's true. And so many can believe that fear and let it be their guiding light, uh, when prior to that they would have rationally thought about it and used common sense instead of peer pressure and guilt. Good comment. Uh, someone says um, that those I thought would formerly f- formally hide Anne Frank and her family mm-hmm. uh, would would actually uh, turn them in if asked for by the government. So the reference there is, um, you know, a, a Jewish girl during World War II um, that um, had hide in in an Amsterdam addict. Um, mm-hmm we 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 know stories where people were being hunted down by the by the nazis and y- you'd almost think that more people would 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 have sided with the underdog mm-hmm. <laughs> but unfortunately more people sided with with the state in this uh, always be thankful for what we have that's true we can't take it for granted we can't take life liberty freedom for for granted i think we have you'd probably agree with me on that chris I think Overall, we we have we sort of assume that we have it and we always will have it, mm-hmm. but it can be taken pretty quickly. Yeah. And a lot of our liberties. I mean, we still have some things we we can't do. There's there's still people that have not got their jobs back. There's yeah. still people that can't cross the border into the USA. It's it's still like that, and yeah. it, and it's it's challenging. Uh, one person makes a comment, kind of funny. Uh, that I didn't listen to the mandates and I'm still alive, <laughs> you know, God is always God is always uh, with me. Uh, I can trust in God, he never fails. A quote there from Romans uh, 8, 38 and 39, the government's out of control regardless of the presence of members of sound moral character. It's true, there's there's bright lights in, yep. in municipal, provincial and federal government. We appreciate their service, um, but there's, they're, they're in a, a challenging, corrupt antichrist system. Uh, praying as a family of believers is a beautiful gift. Uh, that my rights are endowed by my Creator, and the government cannot be entrusted to to protect them, even though the government in part has that responsibility. Right? They mm-hmm. they they failed. The church is essential. Uh, never give to government what rightly belongs to God. And I would say the rest of the 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 um, I, I won't read them all. I'm sorry, but uh, they they fall into the realm of. Um, Acknowledging spiritual attack, uh, realizing that a lot of the conspiracy theories are are true. Not all of them, but some of them are true. Uh, Not taking church for granted is a lesson I think many of us have learned. Needing a strong community of faith, uh, emphasis on the kingship of Christ, no longer depending on corporations and government, Uh, faith and comfort that comes from the Lord. Those are those are the kind of comments that people uh people wrote and I'm I'm thankful for that. Let's let's continue to learn uh mm-hmm. those those lessons and um make sure that we don't just drift here's my concern that we we just drift back into the way it once was. The yes. churches just go back to the way they once were people return to churches that that didn't stand up and just yawn and move on that we just go back to our comfortable mm-hmm uh jobs with with the government, beholden to their next whim, that we we don't speak out against truth, that we have this sense that the the, the problem is over. That would be a bad, bad thing. Better to learn uh, the hard lessons and then readjust the way we think and act and interact with culture and function as a church than um, than to, uh, you know, just breathe a sigh of relief and uh, and move on.
0: Yeah, absolutely. If it's an educational experience, you don't want to walk through it and uh, not have passed the exam by <laughs> applying it, right? Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. So Aaron, what would you say are the top two or three personal lessons that you've learned? So lessons that, that helped you to grow in your faith and resolve? I think my the lessons I learned are actually very similar to the lessons
1: that the folks on my, my Facebook wall posted. But for me, I, I would say maybe top of the list would be just having to think through, having to have thought through the implications of Christ's lordship over all of life. You know, I've been a Christian for a long time, but I, I had to think differently about... The, the implications when we pray your you know your kingdom come, your, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven on earth. What, what does that look like? like? What does that mean? When we say he's king of kings and lord of lords, what does that look like in space and time? We all know what it sounds like. We all have a general concept. He's God. He's in control. But how does that apply to a crisis like we've experienced over the past three years? And so I think... Christ has always been my my king and my Lord, but I, I think I have a greater appreciation for it and a greater sense of what that looks like. It, it really is an absolute dictatorship. Mm-hmm. He is the absolute benevolent dictator of heaven and earth, and all things hold are held together by him, and he is Lord of all things. So his lordship cannot be limited to Sunday morning gatherings mm-hmm. or to my personal life or to my my salvation experience he literally he's the lord of the governor of Canada the the governor general of Canada he's the lord of the prime minister of Canada the the legislative assembly the provincial parliament he's the lord of this church of this city of your business of your life of your marriage and we want to live in a way where that is evident in space and time i would say the second thing for me would mirror Again, a couple of the comments on the Facebook wall. I've always loved being part of the church. I I, I love the dynamics of church life, worshiping, meeting, singing, evangelizing, seeing people come to faith in Christ, developing people's gifts. I've always loved being part of the Church of Jesus Christ since the time I was a little boy, but I, I just have a refreshed vigor and appreciation for it. I I know I know on a certain level what it's like to be in a persecuted church. I I think I shared this before. I've been to to China a couple times and was able to do some teaching there and encourage the underground church. This is going back 15-20 years now. Went there on a couple occasions. So I had a, a general sense of what it means to worship while you're being watched by the government. Um, but we went through that week after week after week after week. Like, what a weird feeling to have police cars in the parking lot month after month after month on different occasions and be preaching and wondering when they're going to come through the door, the stress of that. But it gives you a renewed vigor. Uh, this, this is where the devil overplays his hand. He, he, he thinks that if he persecutes God's people, they're going to run and hide. But God's people are going to step up. The true people of God are going to step up. The wheat will be separated from the chaff, and you will step up, and you will count the cost, and you will not live in fear. It just won't happen, and it's not self-induced; it's spirit empowered. So I have a renewed appreciation for the gathering together of God's people, and I, and I would urge the listeners: don't lose that. Like, don't fall back into the "I go to church twice a month" routine. You know, don't fall back into the. We vacation, we play hockey, we, we go on trips. And when we are available, we go to church routine. Like make the worship of God in the public assembly of God's people on a weekly basis a priority in your life. If you're sick with a communicable disease, stay home. Yeah. <laughs> There's quarantine laws that are valid in that regard. If you can't come for whatever reason you're in the middle of traveling but make it your priority like stop using the weekend for your leisure time in in exchange for that time with the Lord it's so 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 vital third i just have a, an appreciation for many people in the broader church i i, I was very disappointed that many people in my tribe if you want to call it that, within the Christian church and within our circles, buckled uh, to, to government mandates or opposed uh, our efforts or just remained silent. But I'm also filled with much joy that people from all different churches and denominations, I, I was able to meet them mm-hmm. during this time. And have a, had an affection for them, an enduring affection for them, for their stance, for their encouragement, and it's it's really been a blessing in that regard. You know, our church is a Credo Baptist church, and and we've met so many Pado Baptists through this who mm-hmm. who share our Reformed beliefs, but who you know normally you know be like, hey, hey, guys, good to see you at a conference, and you know they're doing their thing and we're doing ours. But I just feel a a a brotherhood with with many of these dear people, and I'm I'm thankful for that. The different relationships that we've been able to form, and I have I have I have a certain appreciation even for unbelievers that stood up against some of the tyranny. And fortunately, by God's grace, because of their exposure to Christians, many of them have um, have come to faith in Jesus Christ, and that's been a good thing. So those are some things that come to my mind. Um, you know, I'm, I'm appreciative for, for men like you that uh, we've been able to walk across the battlefield together, for my, for my wife, for our elders, so many different people that have been an encouragement during this time, uh, people even in positions of uh, office, uh, a couple police officers, a couple physicians, uh, government officials that I interacted with that were, were an encouragement to me during a time when many in their own professions uh, buckled and, and ran. Or were complicit in the lies, uh, robbing people of liberty and freedom, and uh, seeking to usurp Christ's authority over His church. So, th- those are some
0: things that come to my mind that I'm I'm delighted uh, in and about. Yeah, for sure. Um, I just to your note of the churches working together. I think there was in an interesting way we've mentioned before uh, hybrid vigor, right? When you get two different types of um, animal that you breed together, right? That you get a stronger animal as a result. And when <laughs> yeah, these different churches have come together, one of the things that I've seen is the strengths and weaknesses of different church you've learned from, we learn from other churches, you grow, you're encouraged in the walk. And I think mm. even if you, if nothing else, you have a, or for me, this is from my my personal opinion, you have a, a wider view of what faithfulness to Christ looks like, not outside the bounds of scripture. I hope right. I'm saying that right and you get the point, but yeah. Oh, absolutely! That, that's a good, great
1: illustration. Um, appreciate that. I hadn't thought of it that way before, but that's that's true. Where we have uh, the the church, the true Church of Jesus Christ is the Church of Jesus Christ. It's committed to the, the orthodoxy of the historic ecumenical creeds. It's it's uh, s- supportive of the the absolute lordship of Christ over over creation. You know, we, we may differ on some things um, in terms of our distinctives, but we find our common bond in Christ. And it's it's totally fine for us to continue to hold to our, our distinctives. Um, it's totally ho- fine for us to hold to our unique way of worshiping. We, we don't apologize for mm-hmm. that. Uh, the, the reason why we, quote unquote, do church the way we do church is because we believe that's the way to do church. And, um and yet we we have an appreciation for many in the broader Christian community who who understand those essentials yeah. and have paid the price uh, for the the high cost of you know what we believe is is obeying obeying the Lord. I don't hold resentment or bitterness towards our opponents I I admittedly feel sad for them. I think mm-hmm. they've robbed themselves of this, this was their time to stand and it may never happen again in our lifetime. who knows you know we may we may have a period of peace and reprieve I don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean it certainly doesn't seem like that, but we could and yeah. and this was an opportunity to really lean into the Lord and count the costs and I feel sad that many um, didn't but the good news is is that through you know repentance and just acknowledgement that maybe maybe it wasn't they didn't they didn't play it play their cards right. Yeah. Yep. Uh, maybe that's not a good analogy for faith. Yeah, true. But um, they didn't they didn't respond properly. They robbed themselves of some of the choice blessings that God might have uh, have granted to them. But anyway,
0: yeah, fair enough. Okay, well, shifting gears as a as a pastor and as a teacher, what would you say are some lessons you learned about the church, or that you would hope the church would learn?
1: Yeah. So dr- drawing from my my own experiences, and then from listening to other people, I think one of the the biblical concepts—so this is our language, not, not our specifically, but it's the language from the broader Reformed community of, of faith—that I think has been a, a bit of a light bulb moment for people and has really helped them to think more clearly about authority is the concept of sphere sovereignty. I think that's yeah. been really, really, really important to think through, that You can use different terms, but that concept that God—we're not anarchists. God has put in place dually, meaning rightly, properly Mm -hmm. appointed authority structures. And the the way I think of it is the most basic spheres of authority are the husband's authority over his wife, parental authority over their children— the eldership's authority over the local assembly of God's people gathered the church and civil the civil government's authority over the government and therefore over the state. Understanding the way I like to describe it is each of them has a job description. If you work for a, a big corporation, you have a job description. It generally has a preamble that describes the job and the purpose of the job. It has basic qualifications and it has some lines of accountability, some boundaries. This is who you report to, this is what you can do, this is what you can't do, and then it has maybe your salary and vacation uh, agreements at the end. And in the same way, a husband has authority, but it's limited over his wife. Parents have authority, but it's limited over their children. Elders have authority, but it's limited over the church. And the king, the queen, the governor general, the governor, the senator, or the yeah. prime minister, whatever your governor, governing structure is, has authority. They really do have authority, but they it's limited. So this is why we're not in favor of anarchy. We're not in favor of like radical bodily autonomy. We're not in favor of radical libertarianism where you just take the, the tyranny of the state as they try to uh, usurp all authority and apply it to themselves, and then you pass it on to the individual. But we, we have this idea of spheres of authority. There's boundaries. A sphere has an outer edge to it. Yep. It has a boundary, demarcating what it can and cannot do. That I think is a light bulb moment for a lot of Christians. And it's been super helpful for me to think through, and you see it in scripture. It's like one of those things, once you see it, you can't unsee it, yep. that it, it makes sense of, of, the, um, of the word of God the second thing i would say would be realizing that there there is an a series of ideological wars that the church has become more engaged in and needs to be more engaged in when we think of justice it's it's a sad reality that we reduce it down to these these gimmicky little projects that are that are easy uh it's like what does it mean to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Well, it's it's giving out coats at Christmas. Nothing wrong with giving out coats at Christmas, but it's kind of gimmicky. Or packing a shoebox for Samaritan's purse at Christmas and put you know put your five bucks in there, or setting up a soup kitchen. We'll just pour soup, you know, pour soup year after year after year. There's nothing wrong with these things. Although in the West, where there's a high level of affluence, there's limited need for those kinds of things. There may be more need for it as the government continues to destroy our economy. But a a small number of people are affected by a lack of clothing in the winter or a lack of food. The majority of people, the majority of people in our country and south of the border and in the UK, they have a... A few cans of soup in their pantry. They they have a, probably two or three coats. They they may buy a new coat just because it's gone out of the old ones gone out of style. But they have coats. They they have a, a certain security in the in the physical realm. But everyone is being attacked in the area of the ideological wars. The mm-hmm. the antichrist ideologies are destroying children. Like how can how can it not grip your heart to know that. Hundred thousand babies a year are put to death. Uh, perhaps even in our own country, and many more in the U.S. How can it not bother you when children are being exposed to uh, predators and groomers who are dressed in thongs and g-strings, dancing sexually in front of them in their public schools? How can you, how can you not be disturbed when? Um, you know, like a physician, like Nilly Kaplan Mirth in Ottawa, is shuts the mic off on a on a father because she's a school board trustee that says, you know, I, I'm not comfortable with transgender men being in a bathroom with my 12 year old. You're transphobic. You're transphobic, right? How can that not bother you as a justice issue? Christians need to you know pour the soup, give the coats away, and pack the shoe boxes as needed. But that's going to be about 1 18th of 1% of our ministry. We need to engage in these ideological wars. You might think, well, you know, we're just about getting people to heaven. Okay, I understand that. I understand that the gospel of Jesus Christ, the call to repentance, to put your faith in Jesus Christ, to find hope and healing in Jesus Christ is core, because we can quote, unquote, fix the world and people can still go to hell in a handbasket. I get that people need. To be personally converted but we also are beings of a physical world and lives are being destroyed around us and just as jesus would heal the blind or speak out against injustice call as the prophets did of old for the people of god to care for the widow and the orphan we're here right now we're not in heaven this is this is our assignment this is where we are and by not speaking truth to the lies by not championing the causes of righteousness. People are literally being destroyed all around us by the minute. So engaging in the in the in the ideological wars, putting aside this false notion that the the soul mission, the great commission is just about getting people to heaven. Mm-hmm. Putting aside that false notion and and seeing our broader mandate is is really really important. I've also this is this is something that um, might come across as a little bit strange to my listeners, but I've been reminded how much the world hates truth, and we've just had to become okay with that. We've had to be become okay with the fact that the world hates truth, and it hates the truth that we preach. We are hated because we love the Lord Jesus Christ, and there's a lot of people out there that hate us for that and will attack us for that. But here's the thing. By enduring it, many of them are blessed by it. Some of our opponents are now sitting in our pews worshiping because they've come to faith in Jesus Christ. They've realized, "Uh uh-oh, the world lied to me. The sexual ethics of the world are false. The authority structures of the world are are antichrist. The medical establishment has been corrupted by selfishness and politics, and they're looking to churches and finding truth and authenticity there. So when we're hated by the world, it doesn't necessarily feel good. We're not looking to be hated by the world, but when you preach the truth, you're going to offend people. But the good news is is that if you're faithful and consistent in doing what's right, the Lord will use you to bear much fruit. That has happened, and I'm convinced it will continue to happen. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Now on the show we we talk a lot about assessing and responding to intelligently to the culture and world around us. So maybe talk a little bit about that specifically in relation to this. Yeah, in terms of lessons. So we we've entitled the podcast
1: Lockdown Lies and Liberty. Well, our government has locked us down, our government has lied to us, and our government has robbed us of the liberty that's been endowed to us by god it was sad to hear some ignorant christians saying well we're not about liberty like that's almost like an idol for you liberty Mm -hmm. no actually it's a god-given right there are god-given rights that god has given to us and he's given us a measure of liberty and when antichrist governments try to take that from you what they're they may be taking your liberty but they're actually attacking god's authority and so we we pushed back on the basis that we're attack- they're attacking our Lord's authority. Uh, so that that's a little sidebar. Yeah. Uh, one of the lessons is in the area of politics. Yep. We have been lied to. We have been taught that a separation of church and state means that we just sort of get together. We've been benevolently bequeathed the right to worship by the state, all we should be concerning ourselves with is pouring soup, giving out coats, packing shoeboxes, preaching, administering the sacraments, and then the government takes care of the rest and we should never step out of our little holy huddles and confront the state or meddle in politics. And then we have a whole group of Christians that sees politics as part of a completely different aspect Mm -hmm. of life and that you're almost compromise as a church or a pastor if you get quote unquote political if you if you call out politicians for telling lies, just pray for them you know just pray for your enemies that's the mindset. well mm-hmm. I think we've all learned or at least we should have learned by now that politics is a religious battle field. Some aspects of politics, of the political establishment aren't moral per se. The illustration I've often given is that there may be moral aspects to this illustration, but we're not spending our time as a church arguing whether the road up front of our church should be paved in concrete or asphalt. Mm -hmm. Like that's that's a decision for other people to make. It's not a moral decision. Mm -hmm. We don't really care whether Stop signs are square, triangular, octagonal, or round, whether they're red or orange or yellow. Those are decisions for civil leaders to make. We're not interested in setting up our own courts and judging criminals and tribunals. But politicians are constantly making religious statements. Mm -hmm. I'll give an example of this from this week. Now, I think most of my listeners know that I'm not a fan of Justin Trudeau. I th- I think he's a tyrant. I think he's a liar. Uh, I I think he he is is promoting all sorts of false ideologies um along with Jagmeet Singh, the radical socialist that are very destructive and very contrary to God's laws. He's giving money to abortion activists in other country. He he breaks the law. He break, broke the law of our own province by attending the neo-Marxist supposed BLM rallies under lockdown. He wrongly invoked the emergency act without even talking with peaceful protesters and tried to frame them up as fringe minority and misogynists and racists and pro-Nats, you know, this kind of garbage. And only an, an, an evil person would, would believe his rhetoric. Mm-hmm. But now we have the CPC, the Conservative Party of Canada. And there's many things about that party that I appreciate in terms of their economics and stuff, but they're also antichrist in their ideologies. Not every one of them. I know some God-fearing Christians within that party. I'm thankful for them. But I'm not going to sit back and give them a pass when they – Make antichrist statements because well it's the it's the better of two evils no that's not going to happen mm-hmm. God's word is God's word God's laws are God's laws when you transgress God's laws you're going to hear from people like me and you should and it shouldn't I should be the minority voice so we got Melissa Lantzman who from what I understand is a um, CPC deputy leader and you might have heard that uh, Uganda just passed these hom- anti-homosexual laws which frankly aren't aren't much different than the laws we used to have in our own country 50 years ago and and there's been some false information about those laws but this is what she says in her response this week on Twitter about those laws now keep in mind she is one of the MPs that voted in favor of bill C4 the the so-called conversion therapy bill which threatens jail time using the biggest hammer they have in their toolbox, their criminal code. So you're a criminal. I'm not talking about a bylaw infraction or the violating the Reopening Ontario Act. You, you could have a criminal record in Canada mm-hmm. for counseling someone to conform to God's creational norms, i.e. monogamous, heterosexual sex. Think about that for a moment, it's, it's absurd. A bill that declares the word of God to be a myth. Mm -hmm. So having voted in favor of criminalizing those that would counsel someone to conform to God's creational plan, this is what she has the gall to write in a tweet in response to Uganda's homosexuality laws. Quote, it is legislation criminalizing people for who they are, end quote. That, that's not a political statement, that's a religious statement. She's declaring there the, the validity of homosexuality, that it's innate, that it's who they are, that it's an moral non-moral issue. That's antichrist. In that comment, she's functioning as anti-Christ, anti-God. And I'm not going to give her a pass because their party is a better economic platform mm-hmm. or their party is a little more pro-liberty or has stood with us a little bit more. No, they need to be called out for that. And God-fearing MPs and God-fearing members of that party need to push back against that. You might say, well, that's not politically apropos. Who cares? Our country is a wreck. The last thing we need right now is to switch from a big A antichrist to a little A antichrist. Mm-hmm to switch from someone that's 99% anti-Christ to someone who's 95% anti-Christ. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's the, the, the time is up, and we need, we need reform on a deep level in our country. This is a claim that is directly contrary to God's laws. So how can we not speak out against stuff like that? How, how can we... Now, no, no political party is 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 perfect but i don't care whether it's the people's party of canada the christian heritage party the cpc the ndp the green party or the liberals if they make comments that are religious in nature that are directly contrary to god's law we have the right and the responsibility as christians to push back to correct them to be the prophetic voice that goes to the king to be the nathans that go to the king and say you did wrong Mm -hmm. You're God's representative. You did wrong. We have a responsibility to do that. And the, the most foolish thing we can do because, well, we got to protect our party, mm-hmm. right? Or because we have to, you know, any anything to get Trudeau out is the mindset that people have. Why? So you can get a, a little bit of a, a breather for five and 10 years, and then we're just back at it again with an even worse person in power? Mm-hmm. Like, come on. We have to call them to account. And- so, I, I, have a, I have a passion to be, one could say, more political. But what I mean by that is to simply say to the state, when you're going to make religious claims that are contrary to God's laws, I'm going to call you out on that. And when you make political claims that are in keeping with God's laws, you're going to get commended uh, for that. So, that's a, that's a huge one, Chris, in yeah. terms of we need more Christians to engage In the political apparatus, for no other reason than the political apparatus is a religious apparatus Mm -hmm. in our country. There's no such thing as if you still believe that secularism is somehow spiritually neutral, man, I I don't know what planet you're living on or what color the sky is in your world, Mm -hmm. but you need a reality check. Like we, this, we live in a context where politics, almost every bill that is put forward these days, at least the ones that are. You know, become publicly
0: known are mm-hmm.
1: have some religious ideologies attached to them.
0: Yeah, one hundred percent. Of which they're the high priest. They're the <laughs> the uh, religious leaders. The parallels are crazy. At, at the risk of repeating ourselves, think about the bills that were passed during
1: lockdowns, made yeah. medical assistance in dying. We know where that's gone. Yeah. Oh, we're just it's just going to be limited now. It's pretty much you can apply for it, and then they'll bump you off. In no, in no time. I'm depressed. Okay, we'll kill you. Yep. I don't want to live anymore. Why? I just don't want to. Okay, we'll kill you. Mm-hmm. Save the healthcare system, right? This is the. This is horrible. And then on top of that, abortions. I would expect by now that those that are speaking out against it are going to speak out against it, and those that are going to excuse it are going to excuse it. You're probably not going to change a whole lot of minds, but then there's going to be consequences for for your decisions. Mm-hmm. Your, more lives are going to be destroyed. There's going to be more destruction. We have to think long term. Too many people want a short term fix. I'd rather live under tyranny for the rest of my life if I knew that at the end of it all, there'd be reform, than to go through these endless cycles of dragging the country into radical antichrist philosophies, and then voting someone else, and just tapping the brakes a little bit. And then we're back at it, it's worse than before. Yep. I, like We need to clean house on a spiritual level. Mm-hmm. All right, so I should probably move on because it, it gets me a little worked <laughs> up. <laughs> It's good second thing would be um this is sort of political cultural all public institutions have been corrupted by antichrist ideologies two different degrees and with many exceptions let me say that again two different degrees and with many exceptions there's good people god fearing people believe it or not still in public education in tenured faculty positions in the medical realm In politics, leading corporations, as stockbrokers, as economists, in politics, in churches, in denominational offices, in seminaries. There's thousands of them, but they're in the minority. We've seen Antichrist corruption sneak into the NHL. You know, James Reimer, an NHL goalie. Wear the flag, the inclusion flag, supposedly the inclusion flag. No, it's a pro-propaganda, pro-gay, pro-sodomy, pro-transgenderism, pro-let's-destroy-our-kids, pro-let's-wag-our-fists-in-the-face-of-God ideology. The guy's like, he's very gracious and respectful. It's contrary to my Christian beliefs. And he's being called out by uh, Brian Burke Mm -hmm. and other NHL officials.
0: Blasphemous ways. In right? blasphemous
1: yeah. ways, we got guys like Gerald Butts, the former, um, uh, you know, l- liberal buddy of Justin Trudeau, saying, "Well, doesn't, doesn't James Reimer know that Jesus has two fathers?" Ha 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 Like, oh, so Christophobia, as they would call it, is is fine, but you know, God forbid you you're transphobic. We live in a a, a culture where you know, the the, pr- the police can break the law, and that's okay somehow. The courts can side with tyrants, and somehow that's okay. the 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 politi- the, the politicians can even the conservative ones can spout antichrist ideology, and, and the, but that's supposed to be okay. You know, they're, they're God's party after all, tongue in cheek. All institutions. There's in in the in the medical establishment. There's a whole pack of liars. In the pharmaceutical establishment, a whole pack of liars. In the policing establishment, a whole pack of liars. In the corporate establishment, a whole pack of liars. And all of these institutions need to be reformed. And my my encouragement is if you're in there, be salt and light at all costs. I mean, do your job. You were hired for a reason. But be salt and light there. Climb as high as you can in those institutions and influence from the top down. And... Part B is start new institutions. This is why we want to see Christian schools. Why don't we just let the Looney Tunes destroy the system? What's happening in Ottawa right now with this medical doctor promoting transgenderism and basically permanent maskism and all this sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. Pull your kids out. There should be Christian schools popping up all across Ottawa. If they make them illegal, we'll meet illegally. Mm-hmm. We're not gonna. We're not gonna back down. There's power in numbers, by the way. And starting new institutions, a, a lot of folks have returned to their places of employment uh, for very practical reasons after having gotten their jobs back. Okay, that's fine. That's between you and the Lord. There's a lot of reasons to do that. But it would be a crying shame if, as a result of what we've seen over the last three years, we don't see a radical upsurge in, in Christian entrepreneurship. In Christian businesses being started, and in Christians starting schools and credit unions and maybe banks and on and on and on and on and on, we need when these and let's not make the mistake that our forebears have made. We start the hospitals, you know. We start the banks. We start the universities. We're desperate for money, so we go to the, the the public treasury for money. We we. We're desperate for their approval, so we go through their accreditation bodies. They then be, slowly begin to ask us to compromise, and 50, 100, 150 years later, they end up being antichrist institutions. Let's start institutions and build into their founding documents solid Christian statements and structures and leadership structures to make sure they, they can be retained for Christ for generations uh, to come. We also need – we need individual conversion. We we need people to come to faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, Man, I have a sneaky suspicion that some that have historically claimed to be born-again Christians maybe aren't. I mean, I don't know how you can say you're a born-again Christian if Jesus isn't Lord of your, your life, or at least you're not attempting to acknowledge his absolute lordship over your life. So we need that. We need to preach the gospel. You need to repent, believe, put your faith in Jesus Christ. But we also need to stand for justice on a national level. We need to put restraints and boundaries back into place to restrain evil, in order to protect life, liberty, justice, and to uphold truth. So those those are things that I have learned slash am teaching, and I think the church is learning, which you know will be uh, a blessing to to the nation. Mm-hmm. But I got a question for you, Chris. What are some things you've been learning? I've you've done the questioning and I've done the talking, but maybe we could have like uh, you know, leadership now with <laughs> Pastor Chris Eelman. <laughs> what are some things yeah. whether it's individual or ecclesiastical or culturally that God's been teaching you and that you've been learning over the past three
0: years? Yeah, it's good. Um, many of the same things you've mentioned but a few that stuck out stuck stuck out to me and i think these three things i'm going to mention are things that i have needed to repent of as well because they're things that i've learned out of through the process and it's uh thankfully i think i'm in a better spot now but they're things that i've that i've erred in in the past and one would just be misplaced fear um i think all of us could acknowledge that when we talk about covid and the response to the disease um, fear was a huge factor in the way people responded initially right and the way the way even I responded I think for the first couple of months that I didn't even have somebody in my house other than um, my immediate family and looking back now thinking like I didn't see evidence I was just trusting and but the fear fear was a, a powerful motivator. Scripture says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I think the reason we saw so much foolishness is misplaced fear. We right. have fear not of the Lord and his ways, but fear of other things. And I would even say that extends to how many people, Christians people especially, were afraid of their neighbor dying. But then like you look back and they're like, they'd never actually shared the gospel with that neighbor like, so you're afraid of them dying physically, but you're not really afraid of their eternal state. And I, I was convicted of that myself, thinking about my implication of, you know, the fear of transmitting a disease to an elderly person at a grocery store initially thinking, but I wouldn't take an opportunity in the checkout to share the gospel with them or those kind of things. So a misplaced fear would be one, uh, uh that would be a big one. I think the second thing, um, in a, in a pastoral leadership sense, uh, the unavoidable, or well, I learned about the danger of stalling, we'll say. So as a leader, you can't, you, you do have to take time to stop and think about things, but you know me, I'm a details guy and I can stall in the details, get lost in all that's going on. Um, and it actually makes it very hard to move forward because the com- situation grows increasingly complex. Like we talk sphere sovereignty and it's like, okay, I get that idea. But then like, where's the hard line between the spheres? And you can spend all your time focusing on where exactly the line is in every nuance, so to speak. But in the stalling, you've been pushed way over in your actions, violating what was abundantly clear. So right. um, I think that the danger of stalling, and to that I would just say too, I think there's a satanic component of – If he can breed a little bit of confusion in one area, it's incredible how the confusion all of a sudden seeps into everything else. So like five years ago, was I asking whether it was a necessity scripturally to meet physically with the church? No way. But then all of a sudden, because of all the blurriness of everything else, I'm like, well, is it necessary? Well, of course it's necessary, but... um, Thinking through that, right?
1: Yeah, I think I think there's a principle there in leadership. This idea of when you're making decisions, you can die the death of a thousand qualifications. You know, when we're in seminary, when we're in church, we want to be precise, and you're maybe you're exegeting a text, and you 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 arrive at the kernel truth or the core idea. But then there's all these but 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 buts. However, qualifications, and after a while, it can become so overly qualified that you you don't actually have anything to take home with you or to teach or preach. it's like a sermon that makes a bold claim but then there's so many qualifiers to it at the end of the day people just leave confused yeah. and in in leadership we we do want to be nuanced where where necessary but but on a, on a macro level some things can become so nuanced that you actually throw the core principle or the core doctrine out, so if someone says, "Look, do you believe in Jesus Christ as King of Kings and Lord of Lords?" Yes, but you know, in this situation and that situation, we got to consider this and we got to consider that. And you know, there's a there's a vested interest in protecting life, or you know, we we don't want to we don't want to take life, or um, you know, we w- w- the science is not settled yet, or I know someone that died. Okay, I understand you're you're trying to qualify how far you push back but at the end of the day what have you done you've allowed the state to determine when you can open and close the christian church so you've died the death of a thousand qualifications you've allowed the state who hates god who hates christ who's ruled by antichrist leaders to tell you when you can baptize your people when you can meet with the sick and dying and you know, in violation of biblical quarantine laws. There's there's no obligation in scripture to ever quarantine healthy people. Period. Yeah. Hands down. Period. So I I think people do sometimes get get lost in the weeds or lost in the in those qualifiers, which I I was yeah. kind of hearing from you.
0: Yeah, totally. And I think you've said it on the podcast before too. It's like to not take a position is to take a position. Right. So that's like the stalling thing. You're like stalling. Like I can make a better decision when I get more information. But you've made a decision. By Not making a decision. What if I'm wrong? You know? Exactly. I, I mean,
1: you know, in your humanness, I, I remember I, I probably didn't spend more than about 50 seconds thinking about this, but it did cross my mind when you're taking a bold stance against a, a hyper exaggerated pandemic, how would it look if all of a sudden Aaron Rock gets massive COVID and dies in the hospital? Yep. It, it crosses your mind because people did die of COVID 19. Well, what if, but I don't, but at the end of the day, that's not what my fight was about. My fight wasn't about, and our fight wasn't about, okay. how deadly was COVID-19. Although we now know it was extremely an extremely exaggerated narrative, but that's not the point. Mm-hmm. Just like we now know that vaccines have a lot of major problems associated with them, but the fight wasn't about vaccines. Yep. It was about, does the state, period. Does the state have authority to open and close the ministry and worship of the Christian church? And to that, every Christian from any denomination or background needs to give a resounding no. They they do not. Not to mention the fact they don't have authority to determine who works and who doesn't work. Not to mention the fact they don't have the authority to tell you can't be with your sick and dying. Not to mention the fact they don't have the authority to say this business can be open and this business can be closed. Germane to our fight as a church. That's really core. And I think it was helpful for me when when I just arrived at those conclusions, then then any micro decision that that is put before me, I filter it through those basic premises mm-hmm. and then I have my answer. Yep. So right. I I appreciate you saying that. How about on like on a cultural level or maybe another ecclesiastical lesson. Is there anything else you wanted to kind of share?
0: Yeah. Well one I think from the cultural standpoint. By the way, I thought you were going to apologize for being Dutch earlier on. Oh no. no. (laughs) The Dutch are where all the great theologians came from. (laughs) I'm like, man, I just the Dutch are just that much better. Anyways, you know if you're not Dutch, not much, but that we don't really mean it, but we sort of do. (laughs) So um, from a cultural standpoint, and to this I want to just publicly thank Joe Boot and the work he's done. But mm. the law of God, um, maybe partially because of the church tradition I grew up in or just the the background, the, almost the idea of the, like older is bad, newer is better. Having this idea maybe even that the expert of our state knows so much. But really, when you go back to the law of God and study even Levitical law, whether it applies exactly the way it applied back then today or not God's wisdom in his law is so abundantly clear and we're absolute fools to throw it away and to move on like I know there's a lot of talk about theonomy and uh, those have been fascinating discussions just opening up a huge um, resource I guess you could say to me but Psalm 119 right it's like I love your law it's my meditation all the day and I think foolishly, it hasn't been the meditation of all my day for many years. It's like, well, I'll study other things, right? And then going back, I've just been doing a series through the Ten Commandments with our our Harvest Connect group and going through the Ten Commandments and then applying through Canadian culture what it looks like and how far we've drifted. One of the fascinating insights I found is that almost every single one of the Ten Commandments has been you know, pushed away from in Canadian culture. You look at Sabbath keeping laws, you look at murder, you look at adultery and divorce law and whatnot. And with many of those laws, so-called Christians were actually at the forefront of the change. And I know you mentioned that too, in terms of the United Church being part of, and that's the part that I guess, you know, culturally, I'm like, a love for God's law, and then also a very big warning for so-called Christians that are actually the most dangerous people to what God's trying to do. So anyways, those are a few things. That's good. Historically, I would say
1: most evangelical, reformed, Anabaptist, charismatic, Pentecostal-ish you know, type churches who all would claim to have a pretty high regard for the authority of God's word have sought to do a good job in preaching a moral ethic. Pertinent to the individual, like God's laws in the area of you know be faithful to your wife, make sure you're generous, don't blaspheme, um, educate your children properly, don't lie, don't steal. They've sought to do a pretty good job shaping the individual. There's this hyperemphasis on your your personal relationship with Christ, and then ecclesiastical laws. There's a lot of guys who spend countless hours. Making sure that our ecclesiology is right—that our the way we worship, the way we organize our churches, the way we 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 establish our liturgy or our orders of service—that um, those are all in place. That they they reflect as best as they can God's laws. But then we, when we think of God's laws applied to a nation, state, or an entire culture. Many Christians are antinomian. They yes. actually don't want yes. God's laws to be broadcasted into culture because they have this weird idea that somehow that's going to obscure the gospel, mm-hmm. that that's going to tell people that, well, if you just live like a quote-unquote Christian, that you're going to get to heaven. That's not true at all. God has laws for pagans. Yeah. God has laws for pagan nation states. God has laws for, for heathens. Thou shalt not murder doesn't isn't a Christian law, it's a transcultural law. Work six days and rest on the seventh isn't a Christian law, it's a transcultural law. It's for, for everybody f- through all of time. Marriage is between one man and one woman. That's not a distinctly Christian law. It does reflect the gospel yeah. in, a, in a Christian marriage, Ephesians five, but that, that's transcultural. That applies to everyone. Well, how many generations do you have to go if the church is never preaching truth into culture, where the, the culture says, "Well, if you're not going to preach truth to us, we're just going to make up our own laws"? And that's exactly what's happened. Yeah, you know, we can we can wag our finger at at Melissa Lansman and other people like her, but the reality is, I doubt she's had very much exposure to Christians that have actually told her what God thinks about these issues. Yes, and that's we have to. We're, we're angered at her comments, and we need to call them out but we also need to retake culture if you will by proclaiming the laws that are relevant to that sphere of life back into culture you can't be butchering children yep it cannot happen yep you can't be dancing n- naked in front of children and 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 th- this is the kind of stuff that you should be imprisoned for mhm so hopefully, it's helpful for people to to remember that, and and I, I I don't want I don't want the Christian Church to fall into the trap that the United Church fell into in the '60s, where they it was called the Social Gospel, where yeah. it was basically the gospel is reduced down to correcting moral behavior and injustices in culture. That denomination has. For for the most part, lost the true gospel of Jesus Christ and is at the forefront of anti Christ ideologies. But um, yeah, I think I think I appreciate you saying that because I've had to think through that as well. Mm -hmm. And in God's providence, a couple of years or so before we entered into the lockdown, we started to do our Quorumdale conferences and start to think more about had speakers in Tony Cost and others to to help us think through. Cultural Marxism and these sorts of philosophies, and and hopefully we can continue to take ground. I'm encouraged overall in ministry. Like I'm, I'm thankful. I, I counted a privilege to suffer in in the in the little tiny ways. I've suffered for Christ. I consider that a privilege and a joy. Uh, we did the right thing. There's no question in my mm-hmm. mind that we did did the right thing, and we're looking forward to how God will continue to bless that. I just really hope that people uh, continue to learn the lessons. They don't just fall back into the the old ways, but that they they take the lessons that God has taught them over the past three years and multiply them into crises that we, we may experience in the future.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you, Aaron. Appreciate it a ton. Um, we're thankful to the Lord for his faithfulness through the last three years in providing strength, providing what we need in wisdom, in his word and uh, also providing us with a, a band of brothers and sisters, so to speak, to, uh, to walk through the battles with. So if you're listening to the show and you're one of those, we, we are thankful for your partnership in the gospel, partnership in standing for the Lordship of Christ over all things. A reminder that if you're listening to this podcast and you just maybe saw it on Facebook or somewhere on social media, this is available through all the podcast uh, distributors. But specifically, if you go to pursuitofglory.org, You're going to find that's Pastor Aaron's blog where you'll see more articles and podcast episodes. There you can subscribe. You can also head over to the Fight Laugh Feast Network and uh, check out their app, which is a great spot to download this podcast, as well as some other great uh, freedom fighters or people standing for the Lordship of Christ. Uh, It's a great place to explore. We hope you'll tune in next week to another episode of Leadership Now with Dr. Aaron Rock.